Well, it is certainly good to be with you. Um, and we are, we're going to be jumping in. We're in a series right now, and it's called Break the Mold. Break the Mold. What we're going to discover, we, we, last week I jumped into a story of Esther and Mordecai. If you want to go ahead and turn to Esther, you can. I'm going to be covering chapters 5 through 10 very quickly today. Um, I covered 1 through 4 last week. So if you did not catch last week, right, um, you need to go back and watch. I'm going to try to give you a little bit of an overview of it. A remarkable story, the story of Esther and Mordecai. And we're going, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a summary of it right now. In fact, in order to do that, let's throw a map up here and I'll tell you what's going on. So 722, 721 BC, you, you have the Northern Kingdom, which is the Northern Kingdom is way over here, right over here. Jerusalem's part of the Southern Kingdom. Northern Kingdom is Israel, Southern Kingdom is Judah. And I told you several weeks ago about why they split and divided up. 722, 721, Northern Kingdom. Um, and all of a sudden, it was taken captivity by Assyria. And then southern kingdom fell to Babylon over 100 years later. And so there they are. you got all these people who have been dispersed throughout the land, all right, because of conquering empires. And during the time of Esther and Mordecai, well, this is 480-ish. Let's just go there to try to give you a roundabout. B.C., okay? What's taken place is... Um, the Persian Empire has really come to world dominance in many ways. All of this is the Persian Empire that you can see within this reddish line here. Um, and some of these, these Jews just went all over the place. Esther and Mordecai over here at Susa, right above the Persian Gulf at the top of it there, that's where they're located. And one of the th other things that happened, you heard last week, was that some, there was a king, Cyrus, and some others who said, okay, all of you guys who went into exile, you can go back to your homeland, your home country if you want to. Now, you're like, oh, yeah, great, they can go back home now. But that's not, that's not as cool as you think because it's been generations. None of these people had ever even been there before. It's been generations since they've been, but yet some of them still choose to go back home. We know that just 20 years after King Xerxes, who's the king here with Esther and Mordecai, remember 20 years after he dies, you have this guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is asked to go rebuild the wall is the right answer. Okay, so Nehemiah was asked to go rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, and so he prays about it, and he ends up going there, if you remember that story. So here it is, and all these guys are given permission to go back. Well, some are like, I don't know that place. We're staying where we are. Well, here comes the story of Esther and Mordecai then. Um, certainly, the Jews were considered to be, um, and just those, that people group uh, was considered to be second class, but many of them had made the Persian Empire their new home. To fast forward now, there's a little bit of background for you. To fast forward a little bit with Esther chapter 1 through 4, because I, again, I hit it last week, so this is going to go very, very quick. Um, in Greek, the king's name is Xerxes. So we always say that. It's easier to pronounce. King Xerxes. Um, and what he is doing is he is throwing a party. Chapters 1 and 2, he wants to celebrate himself. Those two different parties totaling 187 days, and he wants to just recognize how awesome he is, like any good politician, I guess. I don't know. Um, and uh, so here he is going to celebrate himself. He has a wife, Vashti, V-A-S-H-T-I, who he says, hey, go make a lot of yourself too. We want everybody to see how beautiful you are because that gives recognition to me, right? And I kind of I kind of give him props for that. I want people to see my wife. She does nothing but make me look better, right? And so I go, maybe he's wanting to do that. Who knows? And so here he is, Vashti, go make yourself, let, let everybody see you. And she goes, I'm not playing your game. 
Well, he doesn't like this very much, and so let's say, long story short, covered it last week, she's no longer going to be queen, and so then he instructs everybody to go get all the virgins in the area to come before him so he can find a new one. Esther's one of those. She's Jewish. She's going to end up hiding until later on that we get to today. She ends up hiding her Jewish identity. All right? So hides her Jewish identity, but she's beautiful. It tells us in Esther chapter 2, she finds favor with the Lord, and she's a beautiful young lady. And so the king's somewhat even, I would say, infatuated with her, and she has a voice with him. And uh, that's kind of where we end up because Mordecai, though, who raised her, family member who raised her because she didn't have a mother and father, tells us that in the scriptures. Mordecai, this is where the story gets a little confusing for some, Mordecai hears about, while he's at the king's gate, he hears about an assassination attempt for the, on the king. He lets Esther know about that and says, Esther, go tell the king there's an assassination plot. Esther lets the king know. They find out that it's real. And she goes, hey, yeah, that was Mordecai who let you know about that. File that away from your memory banks. You're going to need to know that. Esther, Mordecai, King Xerxes. The fourth primary person here, though, is Haman. Haman's uh, high official under King Xerxes. And Haman is a guy who is just full of himself. And the one person, he even made laws, and so he wants everybody to bow before him whenever he's walking around and stuff like that. And I tell you, man, here's a guy, Mordecai. Every time he saw Haman walking around, everybody's bowing, but Mordecai will have none of it. He's like, I'm not bowing before you. Well, this is it just infuriates Haman, this high official under King Xerxes. That takes us, if you go to the book of Esther, that takes us to the end of chapter 3. And then, because of the hatred that Haman had for Mordecai, Haman goes to King Xerxes and says, you know what, we need to come up with a plan during their drunkenness, their drinking, they're doing all these different things. Let's come up with a plan to get rid of all the Jews. Now, that seems a little overkill, right? I really dislike this one person, so I'm going to kill all the Jews in Persia. But they came up with a plan. So he, the plan, they come up with a decree. Um, and as a result of that, 11 months later, all the Jews are going to be annihilated. They come to Esther knowing that she's Jewish. And, of course, this is Mordecai working through servants. He doesn't have direct access to her anymore, her being the queen. But they're still talking and says, you've got to help out. You know, Mordecai hears about this at the beginning of chapter 4. And he's tearing his clothes and everything else. And Esther finally comes to the place where she says, you know what, this is what I want to do. Um, go tell Mordecai to get all the Jews in the land to pray for three days, fast and pray. I'm going to do it with all my maidservants too. And we're going to see what God will do. So that's where they end up. And at the end of chapter 4, Mordecai just really steps in. And we see Esther. This is where you get for such a time as this, that Esther is being called out for such a time as this that she has an opportunity in front of her to give glory to God, to stand on his behalf. What opportunity will she take? And it's remarkable to see for such a time as this. And at the end, she just goes, fine. You know what? If I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to stand for God. Now, also as we unpack Esther chapter, that takes us to the end of chapter 4. Esther 5 through 10, we're going to finish up today. Here's, there's a few themes I want to tell you about right now that you're going to see working in the midst of this story. I'm going to tell you these themes now because I want you to identify as they come up in the story on behalf of Scripture, but also for yourself. 
you're going to see these themes in your life. All right? First theme I want to make sure you write down and that you get. Esther didn't allow position to keep her from having compassion. Um, I don't know about you guys, but there's sometimes you, we can advance in life, and maybe you start making more money, you live in a better place than you used to live, or you get a better title, and now you're the guy um, or the lady, and you're like, okay, look at me. And sometimes we can forget where we come from, and even worse, what happens is it prevents us from having compassion for those who have less. Esther could have been in that situation. She's the queen. She now is saying, I'm going to have all my maids pray with me. Trust me, before she was queen, she never had maids to pray with her. Just didn't work that way. So now here's this lady who's saying, you know what? I'm not going to allow my position. She had to make this decision, by the way. She had to say, I'm not going to allow my position to keep me from having compassion for other people. So she calls everybody to pray because she knows that something needs to happen. Something needs to be done. And some of you need to remember the people around you. Some of you need to recognize and remember where you came from so that you can then still have the compassion that you need to truly care for other people. It's one important thing for us. Another thing is that prayer, to her, prayer mattered. Now, again, 20 years later, Nehemiah was called. First thing to go rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. First thing, first thing that he did, he called everybody to pray. Here's another illustration of here's, here's someone God's wanting to use, and what does she do? She called everybody to pray. This is significant. Here's why you're going, well, we're all supposed to pray. Can I tell you something that prayer does that sometimes we don't recognize? It causes us to rely upon God because us in the Western culture, like I don't know about you, I come up with a plan, and if I'm not careful, if I just work in Joel's might and Joel's strength, before I can even tell other people what the plan are, I'm already working on it. Anybody else that way? Like you're just off and running. Raise your hand. That's just somebody make me feel good. Okay, a lot of you are just kind of weird like that. Um, so that, like we're just going like, oh, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. Let's go. And my wife then comes to me. And she's like, could you have told me that we're going to sell the house? I was like, I just thought it was going to be a good idea. I thought it would be really cool. She's like, stop drinking so much coffee. Let's talk. All right? And that's how I'm like, so let's go. And so I work really hard, even with that leadership here. And I, just, I, want, I want it always just to be rooted in prayer. And I go to my guys, and we pray about things regularly. And we go, okay, we can't make a decision tonight because we haven't prayed about it. We've got to wait a couple weeks because you haven't prayed about it. You don't get to speak about it. So here we go. And it protects you from trying to live for self and in your own knowledge rather than living in biblical and godly wisdom. There is a difference between worldly knowledge and biblical wisdom. Prayer does that for us. Prayer does that for us. You're going to see that mattering here, hopefully in your own life as well. Some of you are making decisions right now, and you need to stop trying to make a decision, and you need to get on your knees. Third thing you're going to see, Esther's difficult situation became an opportunity to represent God. Every single person watching online, every single person upstairs in another venue or here in this place, it does not matter who you are. We're all, every one of us are in some type of situation right now in which we, it can be a friendship, it can be a marriage that we're trying to walk through, it can be in a business or a career decision, it can be in a path with schooling, it can be in a friendship, it does not matter. Every single one of us are in a situation right now that is an opportunity to represent God. But we have a decision to make if whether or not what we're doing is going to actually represent God. 
And especially when we're in a situation that is difficult, it often ends up being an opportunity to represent God or to become angry at God. Typically goes, if it's a hard situation, it typically goes in one of those two directions. I'm going to represent God. I'm going to stand on his behalf no matter what. I'm going to make sure that I give him glory. If I'm crying, I praise God. If I'm laughing, I praise God. If it's hard, I praise God. If it's good, I praise God. Because at the end of the day, my eternal God is worthy of that worship and praise. It's an opportunity in the midst of that. Or it's an opportunity to become angry. I can't believe that this is happening. This isn't fair. All oh, this is really hard. I've lost a loved one. I've I've done this, I've done this. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's all an opportunity. And you need to be praying, let's go back to point number two, that God will let you see the opportunity to represent him and to reflect his goodness even in the midst of a difficult situation. Amen? You're going to see those opportunities come up in the life of Esther over and over again. Lord have mercy, that was the intro. Here we go. Who's ready for the word of God? Esther chapter 5 and following. Then this is what's happening. Now, here's Esther. Mordecai's like, for such a time as this, Mordecai went away, last verse of chapter 4, did everything Esther said, and here comes Esther. On the third day, Esther put on royal robes. That's important because now they have prayed for how many days? Three days. Here's the third day. And it says, the king saw Queen Esther. Now, again, she has not been in front of the king for 30 days plus. And yet here comes Queen Esther. The king sees her. She won favor in his sight. She held out the golden scepter that was in his hand. And that's what was required so that she could approach him. God's already working. This is good. Right away, she's like, okay, victory won. I'm not going to die. This is good. She now is going to see God unfold a plan before her. King's like, man, hey, what is it? Verse 3, what is it, Queen Esther, that you really want? What's your request? It shall be given to you, even half my kingdom. Now, you know that this is what prayer does. Prayer gives you patience because if somebody comes to me and says, hey, what do you want? Even half my kingdom? I'm like, oh, I mean, you called it out. I'll take half. Right? I just told you it's the largest empire during this time period. I mean, that's a pretty good ROI. It's a pretty good day. Half of the largest empire in the world. I'll take it. That's cool. But she does, you know what she says? Because he's calling out. He's like, whatever you want. Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. That's what you got? King's like, what do you want up to half of everything I have? She goes, I just want to throw you a shindig. I don't know what the word shindig is in Hebrew, but that's what she said. She's like, I'm just going to throw you, I want to throw a feast for you. I want to throw it for you and for Haman. You know this has to be godly wisdom through prayer. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared, and as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is it your wish? It shall be granted. And what is your request? So here's again. She's like, you know what I want? My wish and my request is, I just, listen, if I found favor in your sight, you and Haman come to a feast that I will prepare for you tomorrow. Another, I want to feed you again. It's going to be good. I'm making cheesecake. It's going to be awesome. I want you to come back. Now remember, this is a, the Jewish people, their lives are threatened here. They're going to be demolished 
in the Persian Empire. Do you call that a difficult situation, yes or no? Friends, sometimes we want to hurry God. In that situation, I personally think, you know, I, I'm just like, wow, I'm so impressed with Esther because she's going, she's, she's doing what God obviously has instructed. Otherwise, I'm, I would have been first time out. Listen, this is what's happened. The Jewish people, can you please not annihilate them? She goes, I want you guys to come back. Come back tomorrow. So Haman goes out that day, all glad of heart. But Haman saw Mordecai as he leaves at the king's gate once again. And everybody's bound down before Haman, but not Mordecai. And this just enrages Mordecai once again. So he's all joyful and glad of heart. And he's coming to these parties and he feels important. And he is important and people are bowing before him. But Mordecai the Jew is not going to bow before him. And he even says, you know that sometimes you've been distracted from a call when, the, when this distraction causes you this angst in your life. Meaning, watch this, verse 13. All of this is worth nothing to me, right? She's calling this out. Uh, Haman is calling this out and saying, all of this is worth nothing to me that I have so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. You're giving too much attention to the wrong thing. Some of you are giving too much attention to the wrong thing. Some of you are giving too much attention to the wrong thing. And it's causing you to see what God is designed for you to be a part of in a convoluted manner. He wasn't a person of God, but that's certainly what we see with Haman. He's giving one person such authority and power over his life that now, even though he's being blessed up the wazoo, he can't see past it. And so here's his wife. She's like, hey, listen, why don't you build some gallows and put Mordecai on him? Then you can go back to the feast of Marath, your king, and be all happy. Mordecai's like, oh, that's a great idea. Says the idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made so that he could hang Mordecai on him. End of chapter 5. Well, then after that, what you have in Esther chapter 6, the king can't sleep. And so he calls some people, I referred to this, alluded to it last week. He calls some of his people together and say, I need somebody to read the chronicles of the land to me. It's a good nighttime message. It's like, you know, 10 little monkeys jumping on a bed. Help me out here. And so they go, they start reading this. This is important because at the end of chapter 2, it says it. Remember, Mordecai discovered an assassination plot. I told you to put that away for later on. End of chapter 2 says, It was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Beginning of chapter 6, the king could not sleep. Read all this to me. It was found written of how Mordecai had done that very thing. And so he comes out and he's like, What's been done for this guy? And it says, Nothing has been done for him. And so in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 4, Mordecai looks at everybody and he's like, Who's around? I need somebody to give me some wisdom. Who's in the court? Well, Haman had just entered the court to go speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows. This happens, and they're like, hey, Haman's out there. He's standing in the court. The king says, let him come in. Haman comes in. The king says to him, what's to be done to the man that the king delights to honor? Well, we already know that Haman is full of pride and arrogance, and he's making everything about himself, right? And so now he walks into the room. The king says, what should I do to delight the man that I honor? And Haman thinks that the king's speaking about him. 
Just a dum-dum. Arrogance. Life is not about you or me. It is about giving glory to God. We're more self-absorbed than we understand. The reason I'm saying it is I think so many people, they look at Esther and we go, oh yeah, I'm Esther. I'm Mordecai. Oh yeah, he's awesome. But there are very few people who look at a Haman and go, you know what? I need to learn from this guy too. We look at a Haman and go, oh, that's not me. No, it's part of all of us because we're all sinners. Do you know how much pride there is in thinking that you don't need to learn from somebody that God puts in Scripture? Haman thinks that the king's speaking about himself, so he's like, oh, man, what should be done to that guy? Man, that, let me tell you, this will be great. I want royal, Haman said to the king, verse 7 and 8 and following, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought in, right? And the horse the king has ridden, that's a big thing, put a royal crown on the head and more robes and horse handed over to the king's most noble officials and dress the man whom the king delights to honor, All make, make him look amazing and put them on the horse and walk him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights to honor. And so the king says to Haman, hurry. He's like, this is brilliant. Do me a favor. Take the robes, take the horse, everything that you have said and do so to Mordecai the Jew. Now, I like that one because I love to learn from scripture. I like that one because as we've all acknowledged, I'm a bit of a sinner. And I'm just like, that's what he gets. Anybody else feel that way? Anybody ever looked at something that happened to somebody else and says, that's what he gets. Just acknowledging it. King's like, listen, go do this for Mordecai. So Haman had to take the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai because he says, leave nothing out that you've mentioned. Now that's important because I would have left things out. I'd been like, oh, I forgot the horse and the robe. Sorry. Forgot the whole crown on the head thing. I was just, I was letting people know there's Mordecai. And he said, leave nothing out. Go do this. So Haman had to go do this. Let him through the square. Mordecai returns to the king's gate. Haman hurried to his house, and he was mourning, and he's covering his head. Can't believe this is happening. And then his wife shifts, and the wise men around him say, Listen, if this is happening with Mordecai, you're doomed. you got no chance. Words of encouragement. So this unfolds. They're talking. The king's eunuchs arrived, hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So all this unfolds, and here comes king, uh, the king, and Haman went to the feast. So they're still coming to the feast with Queen Esther, chapter 7. And as they're doing this, remarkable to see some things that continue to come. The king said, a king said once again, Queen Esther, what is your wish? Up to half of my kingdom and it shall be fulfilled. That he's asking again is remarkable. That the first time she says, just come back later on for a party. Second time she says, come back tomorrow for a party. Now it's the third time. If I found favor in your sight, she says, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold and I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed and to be annihilated. 
This is more important than you know because remember, she's hidden her identity, so now she's even acknowledging that she's Jew. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I, have not been, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to a king. What she's saying is, listen, if we're to be slaves, we've already been exiled anyway. Life's going to be pretty much the same. But that's not the case. We're going to be annihilated. The queen said to Esther, who is he? Where is he? I love this. Who is he that did this? Who is he? Where is he? Who is it that has done my people, these people wrong? And where is he, the one that did these people wrong? Esther says, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Haman's having a bad day. <laughs> Amen? Rightfully so, in verse 6, it says, Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. So the king arose in his wrath. It tells us right away. He was just, he was furious. He just got up and he walked out. You ever had a mom or a dad just so upset they just walk out of the room? Like, that's the worst thing. Just going silent and just leaving the room. The fear and the trembling is real. Well, here's the king. Just gets up, leaves. Then Haman, right, he ends up, the king goes, leaves, turns around, starts coming back. But during this time, Haman falls on the couch where Esther is to beg for his life. And all the king does is walks in and see him falling on the couch with his wife and says, in my own palace even? Now that would be the definition of bad timing. Because then... As the word left the mouth of the king, it says, Will he even, this man, will he even assault the queen in my presence? Verse 8 of chapter 7. In my presence in my own house. And at, his, at the word, as it left his mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now this is important. Why? Because there was, listen, at the time of judgment, there's no more time for explanation. I don't think it's going to be any different before God. At that time, you don't get to go, you know what, God, I know I live for myself. I know I did everything I wanted to do. I, I wasn't anything like Mordecai. I lived for my convenience, not living by conviction. But here comes the judge. No, at that time, the word left his mouth. They covered his face and they went out and they hung him on the very gallows that he intended to be for Mordecai in his own backyard. They put him on it. And in the end, you know what they end up doing? They give everything that belongs to him to Esther and Mordecai. At the time of judgment, there's no more time for explanation. It meant he's not going to even speak. We're not giving him an opportunity to defend himself. It's done. It says, verse 9 and 10, the king said, hang him on that, the gallows. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the wrath of, God, of the king abated. Friends, I, I got to call this out. I told you before, one of the primary things that we see is that, every, that Esther's difficult situation became an opportunity to represent God. Well, we see it again. 
Esther had to take this opportunity, but it was hard. I mean, how many of us, I, I truly think, I go, man, I know that I'm a Jew, and if I tell the king about this, so I may die, and if he doesn't raise my golden scepter, I will die to give me permission to speak to him. And even if I go before him, do I just spit it all out, or do I just invite him to a party, and then invite him to another party? Like, how do I do this? But she goes, you know what? She had to use a difficult situation And she had to let it be an opportunity to represent God, not to become angry at God, not to say this isn't fair, this isn't right. What is that situation? What is your current modern-day opportunity to represent God? What is it? Like You need to be able to identify that so that you can better go before God in prayer to know what God is wanting for you to do. You need kids. Ask your parents, what opportunity has God put in front of you? Force them to answer it. Say, if you want to be a mature believer, pastor says you have to. Guilt them. I don't care. Parents, go to your kids, and they're going to go, I don't know. And you're going to say, no, answer it. Take it serious and recognize that God can use you to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine according to the power of the Spirit at work in you. Recognize that and answer it. You need to know what opportunity God is putting in front of you in order to be able to represent God, to declare his goodness. And it might might be your marriage. You're going, you don't understand what they did to me. Forgiving someone that you don't think is worth forgiving is simply a sign of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You love them anyway. Well, they've cheated on me. Love them anyway. Well, they won't even speak to them. Speak to me. Love them anyway. You're going to go, well, you don't understand my situation. I don't. But I know what Jesus Christ did for me. Praise God what Jesus Christ did for me. And it is remarkable how God can turn tables in chapter 8. It says the king gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jew. Verse 2, later on, it says Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. That, there's some, that would be called the definition of irony. I'm going to now give the guy that was intended to hang on these gallows, I'm going to give him the authority over that. What? That's amazing. You know what we see here? We see a religious upheaval, a political upheaval, a financial upheaval of everything. And I believe God can do it today as well. Let me ask you a question. Are you living in an assumption of what you think God will do? Or are you living in a belief of what you know God can do? As you look at the world around us, it is corrupt, it is sinful, it is broken. But I look at what God has done in the past, and I know he can do it again in the future. Are you living with the hope and in a trust of God that you should be living in? Or are you living in the despair and the gloom of everything's done and everything's over? No, if that's the way you're choosing to live, you have not met my God. Because my God is able to redeem and to restore and to renew. It's just because of our sinfulness, sometimes we have to be as broken as possible before we're done until we recognize that there's a greater purpose than Jesus Christ. Anybody? You hearing me? One of our greatest witnesses 
as we try to break the mold. Guys, we're not only trying to break the mold as individuals, we're trying to break the mold as a church. Many of the decisions we're making are breaking the mold of what a lot of, a lot of people go on. You're doing what? You give how much back? You're trying to send how many people on mission? You're trying to do, yeah, all of our, all, how much do they get paid to take off and to go do? They don't get paid anything. We're trying to serve Jesus. It's all that matters. We're trying to represent God. Unfortunately, here comes the king. Esther's there and speaks to him, fell at his feet, weeping and pleaded with him, please avert the evil plan of Haman. He's already done. Because remember, all this is like, yeah, look at the victory, but the people are still about to be, they're going to be annihilated later on. Well, one of the things that we learn is the king can't take an edict that he's already given and just say it's done. Can't revoke it. But what he does do is he allows them to say, you know what, before what that said was that all the Persian people could kill any Jewish person in front of them. So what I will let you do is I'll let you write a new one, one in addition that says that the Jews can actually fight back and not only kill them, but kill their wife and kids. So if you're a Persian looking at killing a Jew, and all you can do is kill that Jew, but now that Jew can fight back and kill you and all your family, you start to rethink things. He says in verse 8 of chapter 8, you can write it as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. He had already done that once, can't revoke it, but he can do another one. And that's what's been done. They sent the letters all over the place saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city together and defend their lives just to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children, women included, to plunder their goods. Verse 11 of chapter 8. If you don't think it worked, here's what took place. Last verse, chapter 8. And many of the people in the country declared themselves Jew. That would be called smart. Jews ended up destroying their enemies. They actually, they started to celebrate, friends. Um, they incorporated Purim, P-U-R-I-M. It tells us chapter 9. They recorded these things, 20, 21 and following. On the 14th day of the month, also the 15th day, they, they, they said, you know what, we need to start gathering, getting together to remember what God has done for us. Days of feasting and gladness. Days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Purim is what they created. They called these days, verse 26, Purim, after the term Pur, because of what was written in the letter. They saw God move, and as a result of seeing the goodness of God, they made sure they would, for, they would not forget by coming up with days to celebrate all that God had done. 
And so often we see God move and we're like, yeah, that was so cool. God bless. That's cool. And in time, we end up taking it on for ourselves is look at what we did, not look at what God did. And you know that's happened because then you stop celebrating God for what he did. And you you start telling people, look at what I accomplished. And then we just want more from God. Anybody see that vicious cycle? That's what we see over and over. God worked here in miraculous ways. And Esther and Mordecai, they had an opportunity to represent the goodness and the fullness of God in the midst of difficulty. What is your current opportunity How have you seen God already at work? And are you celebrating what God has done? Are you celebrating all that God is and will do? Are you celebrating what you know God can accomplish even before God does it? I tell people, God, I'm like, God, I'm thanking you now for what you're going to do tomorrow. Because whatever you do tomorrow, it does not matter. The heartache and the pain that is temporary, I will worship you because of who you are in the eternal. And so I thank God for however, however he wants to answer whatever prayer I have. Really, it doesn't matter. I will worship God. What is the opportunity that God has put in front of you to acknowledge his greatness? to represent him. God, I thank you. I love you. Thank you for so many amazing examples and stories of how we have seen you redeem and renew and instill hope and courage And I don't know all the stories of every person who's listening to this right now, but I I know that you do. And there are many who are in a hard situation. God, in the midst of that, may they represent the King of Kings.